are listening to a sermon from Sojourn Church in Fairfax, Virginia. We hope that this is an encouragement to you no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey. If you're not already, we would encourage you to connect to your local church. If you'd like to find out more about Sojourn in particular, please visit our website at sojournfairfax.com. May God bless you now as you listen to the preaching of his word. Hey Sojourners, Justin here. Wanted to leave you a quick note before you begin listening to the preaching of the word. We were having a few technical difficulties this week in the recording of the sermon, so you'll notice at different points it seems like the audio skips and you miss some of the words that are being said. That's not your ears playing tricks on you, we were just having some issues. If you'd like a copy of the sermon manuscript from this past Sunday, shoot me an email and I'd be happy to send it to you. Nevertheless, I hope that your time listening to the sermon is encouraging, refreshing, and challenging. May you now enjoy the preaching of God's word. Please remain standing for the reading of the words I command you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it's, it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, and me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and have hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me with, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Well, good afternoon, church. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's good to gather with you in person and online this evening. Uh, Before we jump into God's word, into John 15 and 16 that you heard Stephanie just read, I just want to take a minute to to pray like we often do before the preaching of the word, but in particular, just because of everything that's gone on uh, in our country and in this area over the last week, just take a moment to to, uh, pray a more pastoral prayer for our country in the midst of what's already been a really challenging last 12 months at least. And so God, we just come before you and we just ask for your help. My emotions and my mind have been all over the place this week, and I confess that I've probably spent more time reading news articles and watching things and reading blog posts than spending time in your word than in prayer about these things. So I pray that you'd forgive me, forgive us, if that's been a temptation. God, what happened on Wednesday was wrong to have in this country. The freedom right now to even stand and, and proclaim and preach your gospel God, we're grateful for that. And we thank you for it. We pray, God, that you would protect those freedoms that we have. We pray, God, also that you'd grant those freedoms to all people because not everyone feels that they have those same freedoms. 
God, would you help us as the church to be clear in who it is and what it is that we follow? The one who lived and died and rose again, who has come and will come again. God, we pray that you'd help that to be so clear that we live for a king and a king. Those who have stoked division or disunity or inequity. God, we ask by the power of your spirit that you'd expose the forces of darkness at work in our country right now. And God, we pray that you'd heal this place. God, we pray for unity. We pray for peace. God, we pray that you'd help the church to be those that lead out in unity and in peace. God, we also want to come before you and we want to pray for our current and newly elected officials and leaders. God, would you protect them and guide them? Not without hope. God, we have hope in you. And I pray that would always be the case and so evident in how we live and what we think and what we say and what we do. God, would you bring spiritual awakening and revival in this place and may that begin in the church. God, as we open up your word now, I pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the glorious grace of our God and Savior, Jesus. And it's his, in his name that we pray. Amen. Lots of things. You can describe things, you can direct, you can communicate, you can encourage, and you can devastate. I mean, with our vocal cords and keyboards, we can both praise God and curse fellow image bearers of God. No wonder that the Apostle James says that though the tongue is small, it can stain the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life. I mean, words are powerful. Now, as parents, we try to help our kids understand shouldn't be saying it all because of the significance of what they communicate. And one of those words is the word hate. Now, the word hate isn't a quote-unquote bad word in and of itself. The reason that we talk to our kids about that is because it's such a strong word it communicates intense hostility and disdain, usually arising from anger or fear or injury. It's a feeling of extreme enmity. It's also a word that our culture oftentimes uses kind of flippantly, like we do with the word love. I mean, it's pretty easy for me. There are other ways, better ways, different words and ways to communicate things that you like and dislike. The word hate, however, should be used rarely and sparingly. So it's interesting that when we come to our text today, we see Jesus use the word hate 15, I'm sorry, eight times in 15 verses. Eight times in 15 verses. In verse 18 alone, he says it three times. But here's something that we have to recognize. While we can at times be flippant with our words, Jesus is never flippant with his words. And Jesus is always press that, intense. See, what Jesus says to his disciples, what he says to his church in these 11 verses, it's, it's sobering. But what we'll see in this text is that intense and sobering doesn't necessarily have to mean defeating and deflating. Instead, what Jesus says here should be an encouragement to faith, an encouragement to persevere even in the face of adversity. And that's my hope for you today. That's my hope for us today, that we would leave here encouraged to persevere in faith and in faithfulness. You probably saw and read and heard about this week. Some of you glued to screens, some of you just hearing bits and pieces, but we're in a challenging time. The polarization of our country is on grand display for us right now. 
We're in a challenging and interesting time in our world, just the globalization of our world and all that's going on with the pandemic and the economy and all of those different things. It's a challenging and interesting time. But Jesus' words here, they have helped saints throughout the centuries and they can be helpful for us as well to remain steadfast, to remain in fully in our lives and walk out of here encouraged to persevere in our faith. As we jump into our text today, just by way of reminder, Jesus is heading to the cross. The cross looms large in the immediate future of Jesus's life. And so he's spending these last days with his closest followers, these 11 disciples, continuing to teach them and guide them and instruct them on what life looks like and should look like even as he's about to leave. He's just exhorted them and exhorted us as his disciples to abide in him, to remain connected to him, another just as he has loved us. In fact, in verse 17, he basically repeats that. John 15, 17 says, Jesus says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. Now this verse, verse 17, is really a transitional statement. A transitional statement between what Jesus has just said and what he's about to say. That their obedience, our obedience to Jesus and our love for one another is to be so unique and so identifying that it will set us at odds with the world that is set against us. 18 then becomes kind of a header statement of this next section. Look at verse 18. It says, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. Hate. It's that strong word again. The world will detest you. The world will abhor you. The world will persecute you. But who is that? Who is the world? Well, it's the people and the subsequent culture that comes from our lives that's not a part of Oh, mate, so maybe they won't then. Like that's just a possibility that the world might hate me. But the sense of what Jesus is saying here is not if as in a possibility, but when as in a high probability. When the world hates you, he wants his disciples to know, he wants us to know that this is coming. And he wants us to know why it's coming, to not be surprised or discouraged by it. If the world hates you, when the world hates you, Jesus says, no, it's because they hated me first. And this gets to the heart of the matter, the reason own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Jesus says, if you were of the world, if you were buying into the systems and structures of the world, if you held the same values as the world, the same beliefs that are set against God that the world holds, then of course the world's going to love you. You, you, you look just like everyone else. You act like everyone else. You value the same things that everyone else does. And those aren't the things of God and his kingdom. But Jesus says, but that's not what Jesus says. He chose you to be a part of this other kingdom. Now, this goes back to a verse or verses that we looked at a couple of times over the last several months as a church from Colossians chapter 1. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, the Apostle Paul reminds us of something that we need to come back to and remember regularly in our lives. He says, he, talking about God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's delivered us from the world. And he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, 
is and what Jesus has done, that he has lived a perfect life of obedience before the Father, that he willingly went to the cross to die for your sin and mine, to be a substitute for us, and then rose again from the grave. Because that is all true, because you are in Christ, because you've placed your faith in him, everything has changed for you at a fundamental level. You have a different primary, primary citizenship now. You have a different primary identity now. You're not a part of the kingdom of this world. You're a citizen of the kingdom of God. Change in citizenship and identity leads you to live differently than the world. Your worship looks different. All of us are worshipers, but the gospel, when it comes to bear on our life, makes us right worshipers of God, not of creation, not of ourselves. It affects your work, that how you Go about doing your work in your workplace, how you interact with your coworkers. And maybe work for you is in the home. Maybe work for you is in school. It affects the way that you look at all of those things and engage with all of those things. It impacts your way you use your resources, not just to make your life comfortable and great, but to make much of our God. It affects your ethics. Those moral principles that govern behavior, the way that you think about those things. It affects your allegiances. It affects your hope. Why? Because we now follow a different king and our allegiance is to a different kingdom. One whose walls cannot be scaled, whose reign cannot be overthrown, a kingdom that will not be shaken. And that's what makes your experiences can often lead to rejection. But see, Jesus wants his disciples, he wants us to understand something that who the world is actually hating, who the world is actually rejecting isn't you, it's him. Look at verses 20 through 24. Jesus says, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of mine. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. Jesus is trying to help us understand here. You and I are not greater than him. And if they've persecuted him, if they've come after him, then certainly we should expect that they'll hate and persecute us as well. And likewise, Jesus says, if they listen to Jesus, if they listen to his words, they'll listen to you as well. Reminds me of what the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, he hates Jesus so much. See, in verse 22, he says that if he hadn't come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. He says something similar in verse 23 that I just read. What he's not saying is, is that if he hadn't come, if he hadn't preached the, the gospel of the kingdom of God, then the world would be in a sinless perfection. No, what he's saying is, is that rather because he's come, because he's declared who he is, because he's called people to repentance and faith, his claims require a response. You see, their acceptance of Jesus or rejection, message of admitting our rebellion, of admitting our need for forgiveness and reconciliation. It's a message of rescue for rebels, of salvation for enemies of God. The message Jesus came to preach isn't just a ticket out of hell into heaven. It's a message of redemption and transformation. The message that Jesus came to preach is a message of being remastered. We are no longer a slave to sin to righteousness. See, what Jesus and his message expose is the heart of humanity. 
the heart. That's where the, the motivational structures of our and its outward manifestations in word and deed is a sin sickness that cannot be fixed or helped through self-help or civil religion, but only through a perfect king who lived and died and rose again. And so he says, because he's come then, the world has no excuse for sin. But just as Jesus doesn't want his followers to be surprised by the the hate and the persecution comes, he also wants them to know that he's not surprised by it either. Verse 25, he says, but the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me, accused and falsely accused and hated for no cause, no reason. Now, Jesus then brings up the Holy Spirit in verses 26 and 27. He's talked about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14, and he's going to talk about the Holy Spirit again in our text for next Sunday. But he brings it up here in verses 26 and 27. Look at it again with me. It says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now, he's encouraging his disciples. He's encouraging us. He says, a helper is coming, a helper is coming, and he will testify, the spirit will testify to the hearts and mind of humanity as you, his people, bear witness in the midst of your persecution. Bearing witness is often the context for persecution or the reason for persecution. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, will empower Jesus' people, even in the midst of that, not to shrink back, but to continue to speak boldly of the king and his kingdom from falling away, to keep you from falling away. I didn't speak these things to you so you could avoid them. I didn't speak these things to you so you can figure out how to counterbalance those kinds of attacks and and counterattack the attacks and hatred that comes your way. No, I spoke these things to you so that you won't fall away. See, the greatest challenge, the greatest danger to the disciples wasn't death, it was apostasy is that they might renounce Christ or walk away and reject Jesus either in word or in deed. Religious world, it also comes from the religious realm as well. Look at verses two and three. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. What Jesus is saying here to his disciples then and to us now is that the most violent persecution and hatred won't come from the state, but from the sanctuary. Now, Jesus' words were sobering here. In this time, speaking to these 11 disciples, they've been sobering for church, the church throughout history, and they should be for us as well today. I mean, when we think about the 11 men that are sitting in that room with Jesus, all of them but one, all of them but one was martyred for their ministry, for their following of Jesus. And the one who wasn't martyred, who wasn't killed, was tortured and exiled on an island by himself. The Apostle John, who's writing this gospel from secular authorities, but also from misguided religious zealots. There's so many examples we could think of. Communist China, the Soviet Union has sought to crush the church. We could also go back to places like when Archbishop Thomas Cranmer 
was burned at the stake for standing up against false teaching and false doctrine in the Catholic Church, and a sermon was preached while he was, while he was burned at the stake. In the same place that six months earlier, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer had also been in many places throughout history and throughout time against Jesus' people since Jesus spoke these words. Now, our brothers and sisters around the world experience this in very real and tangible ways. They could read a text like this from John 15 and 16 and say, that's my reality. I experience this on a daily basis. We're gathering right now in a small secluded room because we're in fear of the authorities finding out that what we're doing. Brothers and sisters, we should pray for the persecuted church. We should lift up our brothers and sisters and pray they'd continue to have that. But what about here in America? I mean, what does a text like this look like here? Well, the reality is just like in Jesus's day, it's gonna happen, this hatred, this persecution from both the religious and the irreligious. As one scholar writes, we should not be surprised when so-called Christian leaders vilify those of us who stand up for orthodox teaching of the apostles on both doctrinal and ethical issues. And of what it means to actually follow Christ in every aspect and everything you do, they'll seek to shut you down. And it can come in different ways. It might be, hey, you're compromising the gospel if you care about these other things. It should just be about this one thing and not seeing the implications of the gospel for our lives. Other people might come and say things to you along the lines of, hey, you're being unfaithful what Jesus really cared about. Or maybe, as we've seen in recent days, the rise of civil religion and Christian nationalism that conflates the gospel. Now, should you be discerning in your life about what's truly informing your beliefs and values? Absolutely. Should everything that you think and say and do be guided by God's word and by God's spirit unequivocally? Should you seek to live in this world, but not of the world? A hundred percent, yes. Should you strive to see your life and lifestyle conformed more and more to the image of Jesus? Of course. But should you and I fit nicely into a man-made religious mold, one that either alters all from Jesus is the same? It has been for 2,000 years. Brothers and sisters who've been faithful for that time, and we are called to that same level of faithfulness. If you've been raised with Christ, set your minds on things above where Christ is. Abide in him. Seek to walk in obedience to his commands, all of them, and tell the world that your redeemer lives. And help one another continue to walk forward in faithfulness until Jesus comes again or calls you home. Now hate that's gonna come for the church and God's people King to this says, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, what those who don't yet follow Christ want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. They hate you. They marginalize you. They ridicule you for not joining in. Listen, this country that we find ourselves in was never a Christian nation. marginalized more and more. But you know what? That's okay. We can grieve that. We can be sad about that, but we don't give up. We don't withdraw. We keep pressing forward in faith and faithfulness. 
Man, we can look throughout history and see the hatred and persecution of Jesus and his followers, but we can also see that almost every time that that increases, so does the growth of the church. The more people are being saved. Why? Why does that happen? Because it's in those moments real. I mean, think about this. You and I wouldn't be here today if not for faithful saints who endured and persevered. Throughout history, as the government has tried to squelch faith in the church, as people even that call themselves faithful and religious have tried to crush the church, it's continued to grow. It's continued to go to the ends of the world because Jesus is faithful to build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I think about Acts chapter four, that after some of the disciples have been arrested and brought before council protection, they pray for boldness. And God help us to continue to be bold no matter what comes our way. I have a sobering question to ask you that I really encourage you to think about and pray about this week. Are you willing to give up any real or perceived right for the sake of your neighbor coming to know and follow Jesus? Are you willing to give up any real or perceived right for the sake of your neighbor coming to know and follow Jesus? Many of our brothers and sisters around the world Think about that this week. Pray through it. Confess, repent, ask for help. And as you do that, let me remind you that this place is not your home and this place is not your hope. You are a sojourner in exile. You may appear as a rebel to the world, but it's actually the world that's in rebellion. In other words, truly and really and genuinely following Jesus will put you at odds with a world that's set against God both the religious and the irreligious. But let the reason, let the reason that they hate, the reason you'll be hated isn't just because you claim Christ, but because you're actually striving to follow him. The kingdom of Jesus doesn't align with the kingdom of this world. Our ethics and our morality aren't informed by anyone or anything except King Jesus. I mean, you and I are called to pursue holiness and righteousness and peace and justice for all people all of the time, not because it's popular, because at different times, it's not going to be popular in the world or in the church. No, we do these things. We pursue these things because Jesus calls us to, conservative and liberal, with the religious and the irreligious. That's why we need a text like this to remember, as Jesus says in verse four, that he said this would happen and not to be surprised to strengthen your faith in those moments, not discourage it, to remember that he is with you and loves you to the end. It's also why we need one another. Really following Jesus really costs something. But you're not in this alone. See, the early church, they rallied together and they, they cared for one another physically and emotionally to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Our circumstances right now might not be the same, but we can still care for and commit to one another at the same level of commitment and love, encouraging one another to keep running the race that lies before us, no matter how hard it gets. And it may get really, really hard to be willing to throw each other on our backs when we just don't know if we can make it anymore. And I know I need this. In a week like this, it can be discouraging. You can find yourself going towards despair or grief and overtaken by those things and saying, to continue to proclaim that news to our neighbors in the nations. Brothers and sisters, in this cultural moment, in all the unknowns that lie ahead, 
We shouldn't be surprised if we're hated. We shouldn't be surprised if we're maligned from multiple directions, but let it not be from one another. Instead, may we press forward in faith, striving to live in such a way that it is abundantly clear that our hope is in Jesus and him alone. May we remember who we are and whose we are and pray for boldness to our number day by day, those who are being saved. Amen. You know, I'm so thankful for this time that we have together every week. And I need it. I need to be with God's people, to hear God's word read and prayed and sung and preached. I need to take communion. It reminds me of what Christ has done for me. And I'm glad that we get to do that right now. It's a meal that's a spiritual refreshment to our soul. That reminds us of who our rescuer and redeemer is and what he's accomplished for us. We eat the bread, a picture of Jesus' blood, mind renewed as you run the race that lies before you, knowing that Jesus has walked this path before you and he is walking with you still. And if you're not yet a follower of Christ, we would just ask you not to take communion right now because this is a testimony of our faith in Jesus. If you haven't yet placed your faith in Christ, instead of eating the bread and drinking the cup, we want you to take Jesus today, that you'd place your faith in him. You'd cry out to God to save you and to change you. And if you don't yet know Christ or want to learn more about what it means to know him and follow him, please come let me know or talk to somebody that you came with. If you want to get up and begin singing right away, whatever the Lord is leading you to, take your time to do that and let's sing together. Let's pray. Holy God, we are desperate for you. We're desperate for grace. We're desperate for wisdom. We're desperate for empowerment. God, I pray that you would guide us and lead us God, give us as a local church here in this area in particular, give us boldness. Help us to be faithful and fruitful and to persevere even through difficulty. No matter what comes up, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for our Savior who will be with us until the end and will come again to make all things new. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon from Sojourn Fairfax. If you have any questions, please feel free to email us at info at sojournfairfax.com. Go in peace.